If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Su. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind the scenes details and drama. I'll be joined by some special guests that'll be helping me share the real stories behind the most iconic moments in the show. So do not miss this special takeover of Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Art of the Hustle is a production of iHeartRadio. You're listening to The Art of the Hustle, the show that breaks down how some of the world's most fascinating people have hustled and learned their way into achieving great things. I'm your host, Jeff Rosenthal, co-founder of Summit. And today on the show, I had the pleasure of chatting with Kara Golden. Kara is the founder and CEO of Hint, the San Francisco-based company which produces the leading unsweetened flavored water. She's also the host of the Unstoppable podcast and author of the upcoming book Undaunted, which releases October 20th. She's been named one of Fast Company's most creative people in business, and prior to Hint, Kara was the vice president of shopping and e-commerce partnerships at AOL, where she led growth of its startup shopping business to a $1 billion enterprise. In our conversation, Kara mentioned that she believes that the best entrepreneurs are the ones who are willing to admit they have no idea what they're doing. And she argues that in these moments, the most important thing is not necessarily making the right choice, but making a choice to follow through. And they say before you change the world, you must first change yourself. So it was no surprise to hear that Kara's curiosity with her health and the products she consumed led her to founding Hint and engaging with the movement to make clean water available to all Americans. So please enjoy my conversation with Kara Golden. Well, Kara, thank you for coming to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm always so excited to catch up with you because I know I'm going to hear about like a dozen deeply important things to me that I should be spending more time on that you somehow while, you know, (laughs) raising a family of four, four, four. I mean, they're kind of out of the house now. It's like, it's crazy. I have my third that just started college, which is insane. Incredible. Uh, Congrats. Coming out the other end of, of it. I feel like they've learned a lot by having not only a mom, but parents that are super busy and entrepreneurial and going up against crazy odds. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and these are the, uh, the next generation that isn't afraid to sort of think about things, think differently, 
follow passions, all of that kind of stuff. So I'm sure it's such a journey and you learn a ton from them. And like, it's definitely a perspective I don't get because I don't have any, you know, 16 to 22 year olds that I kick it with on a regular basis. So if you don't have that, it's kind of impossible to have their perspective. You will though. You'll see. Well, funny, funny enough, like the go-to would be, you know, pre having, you know, more than one child would be like, man, how did you, how did you start hint with a family of four in the house? I don't understand how that's even possible. And then it's like, oh, it's making sense out of chaos. It's just like starting a business. No, it totally is. I remember when I was first starting hint, people would be like, what's it like being a mom starting a business with kids? And and I was like, you mean starting a business with four kids under the age of six? Like, I, and you know, and I, I joked about it, but I said, I remember one day when I was grocery shopping in the Target parking lot and I see this, I didn't have my kids with me. And I see this mom who like was holding one kid's hand and she had two, was it, were in like the top part of the cart and one was in the cart. And I was thinking, oh my God, like that just looks crazy. And then all of a sudden I was like, Oh my God, that's what I look like probably to other people, right? You just don't, you know, you just don't really take the time to actually think about how nutty it is. And, you know, we'll talk about this later, but it's part of, I have a book coming out uh, in a little bit, launching on October 20th called Undaunted. And, you know, there's, there's definitely stories about that and sort of things I've learned along the way where it's, it's really about tackling your doubts and your doubters and and just going and doing it and learning along the way. And you totally are an example of this as well, where Thank you. You, know, you start in one spot and you just, and you learn and you tackle failure and you're not afraid to say you failed at certain things and you're going to do better and all of those things. So I think like those are the best entrepreneurs. Frankly, I think they're the best parents. They're the best friends, right? They're the best mentors. All they're, they're the best leaders. And so that's really what this book is getting people, you know, to talk about. It's, it's being called, you know, part business, part definitely talks about the journey of building my company Hint, but it's also a bit autobiography. It's also a bit um, self-development. You've always been able to balance, like you're on you know, early team at AOL, like pre, you know, hundred people days at AOL. And I know we're, you know, a, a, had, a, had a really rich experience, you know, building that from a startup to a, a, a big organization, building the family and building Hint, this, you know, your incredible, your incredible water company uh, that has really, you know, helped my household and I'm sure millions of others get off of soda and, you know, of course, I, I want to get into that story in particular, but, but, but growing up, like, is this, is this something that you always, this is, is this how you found balance? Were you like, you know, a high school kid doing like eight different things passionately at the same time? What do you see that's like the, the through line? The thread? Yeah. Well, two things. Uh, so my dad had actually, I think about him now often, he passed away about 10 years ago, but he was an entrepreneur, but not in sort of the traditional sense. He had actually launched a product inside of a large company, a large company called ConAgra, but the product was called Healthy Choice. So I grew up with him, you know, constantly tinkering. Uh, My mom had decided in her 40s to go back to work and really follow her passion around fashion. Maybe most dads would like learn to cook, but my dad instead, since he was 
working for a company called Armor Food Company, um, which was later acquired by ConAgra, he just decided, why don't I just go develop a product line that I would actually want to eat? You know, I, I grew up in a house where, I mean, looking back, of course, you never really appreciate your dad, right? When you're little, you're just like, oh my God, what's he doing now? But things like, you know, storytelling around sourcing. And I mean, he was really the first packaging and and product. And I've gone back to sort of, you know, double check this as well, that really, he would talk about the fishermen off of St. Simon's Island who were giving up their, you know, their breakfast with their kids in order to catch the best shrimp in the morning. And, you know, things that nobody was doing. I mean, this is like the early 80s. I, you know, grew up around this, didn't have an appreciation for this at all. But I also was the youngest of five kids. And I talk about this a little bit in the book as well, where, you know, I always, I couldn't figure out like why my brothers and sisters got to like have jobs and, and, you know, do things that including they had money, right. They could go out and go to the mall and go shopping. And I couldn't, cause I didn't have the same money cause they actually had a job. And so when I was 14 years old, I went and got a job at a toy store and in Scottsdale where I grew up. And I remember coming home and telling my dad I got a job on Sundays. And he's like, wait, why? Like, what happened? How did you get a job? You're not 16. And I was like, yeah, no, I, I applied and I got this job at Alphabet Toy Store and I'm going to do the, the cash register. And he was like, I can't believe they like hired you. And so anyway, fast forward a few months, I just, I was a kid, right? So I knew what toys to buy. And so people would come in and they would always ask me like, oh, my, you know, my son really likes to read. I mean, what should I get him? He doesn't really like toys. And I would always you know, point him to Shel Silverstein or, you know, like, like just books that were just like, would take you out of, you know, your element and things I'd always know, like how to figure out things that people didn't know about even before they walked in there. And so, so you're saying you killed it. You were an absolutely filthy toy salesman. Well, I, I was, and then I became the buyer. I was sort of like the Tom oh, Hanks. Like, I like I, it. Yeah. And so I, I would go to these like buying shows and, you know, and again, I tell my friends, Hey, I'm go- going to this buying show this weekend. And they're like, wait, what, what, how do you get to do that? And you get paid. And, you know, it was great. And again, like I, I, I think I was always, I always sort of led with this theory of, I am so lucky that I'm able to do this. Like I loved being the one that was doing stuff that other people weren't doing. Like I just, I I sort of, I led with kind of like, I am so fortunate that I, that I'm able to get this job. It continued on. Like I, you know, I was just telling a friend the other day, actually a friend on Facebook reminded me how one summer I just decided I was going to start a camp for kids. And I asked my friend Robin if she wanted to start this camp with me. And she's like, what's the camp about? And I was like, well, I get these like boxes at the grocery store that are for toilet paper, paper towels, and, you know, and I decorate them at home and I want to have a camp and we'll build a city. She was like, wait, we're going to build a city. And I'm like, I don't know, maybe it's a town, but it's like something, it'll be great. And she's like, where are we going to find the people? I'm like, oh, let's just make a sign and we'll just hold the sign up. 
And, you know, my brothers and my sisters were like laughing at me. I mean, they were just like, wait, what are you going to do now? And I'm like, okay, I got this whole idea. It's five bucks, you know, five bucks a day. And parents drop off their kids. It's like 120 degrees in the middle of summer. We're all in the garage. You know, it was just, there were so many reasons why it wasn't supposed to work. And like it, it worked. It was a two week camp and, you know, Robin and I split it 50, 50 and, you know, we were sold out. We had like 20 kids each week for this camp and, you know, we could have continued, but then we got bored and we wanted to move on to something else. And so people just decorated these boxes. We would just make it up as we, you know, went along. And I think like, you know, that, that was sort of the core. I look, you know, it's so much easier to look back on kind of things that you did, but I, I just, I don't know. I just always just did stuff because I could, right? Like I, I just, mm-hmm. I made stuff. I was always like trying, my brain was always like just trying to be creative. And, you know, I think one thing that I have so much appreciation for now and in, in both of my parents was they just thought that, gosh, you know, I don't know if, if they, if the toy store allows her to work at age 14 and no one's going to say anything. All right. Like they were, they were just like, whatever, you know, they, they were down. Yeah. They were down with it. And they thought it was kind of funny. I mean, they were just, they, they thought it was a little bit odd. I was like the only one that they knew that was 14 that had a job, but they, you know, they were like, Oh, it's, it's great. And so, and I think like, that's the thing that I just was never afraid to sort of do what, other people weren't doing and also lead, but I wasn't, you know, sitting there like saying that I wasn't student body president. I was like best friends with student body president, like, you know, that kind of thing. Like I was always just going and I, I led with like doing things that I was really passionate about, but I also led with, God, this is so fun. And this is so crazy that we're doing this. And I would only still do things if I was enjoying it. And I was having a good time. And so I never sort of bought into this philosophy of go work on Wall Street because that's the thing to do. I like my entire life has been around only do things because you actually really are excited about it. And you can continue that on into sort of life and, and things that you become passionate about, including, you know, everything from helping people get healthier by drinking more water. And, you know, as you know, also leading into some of the, you know, initiatives that I'm working on with Washington in Washington around clean water too. Like, I think you, you just continue to do things because you can, and also leading with sort of the same guidance that I did as, as, you know, a young kid, which was really follow your heart, do things that make a difference that are, a lot of fun, but also, you know, people are enjoying it. Um, and that ultimately are just going to make things better. And that was just really what I just kind of led in my life then and now. We'll be back with more Art of the Hustle after the break. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest. Love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning, is connecting with people. In an unscripted, unvarnished way, is getting to, to say something to them, hear back from them, 
know that I'm part of the routine, and I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hermosi, Layla Hermosi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come along with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind the scenes details and of course, drama. I'll be joined by some very special guests that'll be helping me break it all down. From award season nightmares to fashion week insanity, you'll get the real stories behind some of the most iconic moments in the show. The Rachel Zoe Project definitely changed my life and career in so many ways. The show definitely captured some of the most amazing moments, but also some of the absolute worst. I made the show for all the fashion lovers out there, and I'm so happy that people still watch it and love it so much. So do not miss this special takeover on Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Not believe I just said that. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I'm curious, like now that you're in Washington, do you do you think that you could have done it in the opposite direction where it was like, you know, let's go and work on change making at scale without having a, a platform like Hint? Or do you think that, you know, having this business makes a big difference? I think having the business definitely makes a big difference. You know, I talk about, you know, a lot when I'm, when I'm talking about this initiative that I'm working on. So the, so the initiative is, is around clean water. And I had sort of been under this impression that there are people somewhere, like maybe it was the EPA. I'm not even sure that I actually thought of it as the EPA, but I thought that there was some organization on a national level that made sure that water in America was safe. And maybe it even goes back even farther, like, you know, growing up in Arizona, I remember going going down to Mexico a lot as a kid. And my parents would always say, don't forget, like, don't drink the water because the water in Mexico at that time, you'd get Montezuma's revenge. And, you know, it just wasn't, it, it, it just, you know, typically you'd get pretty bad stomach aches and, yeah. you know, all kinds of stuff. So I felt like I lived in this place that, you know, where all the water was safe. And so 16-ish years ago now, when I started getting into the water industry, prior to that, as you mentioned, I was at AOL and was in media at CNN. And I felt like this was a world that 
some sort of guidance on that I wasn't involved in. And so when I started bottling and manufacturing the products, what I started seeing as I was visiting plants was that there was just a lot of different variables to water. And it really depended not only on, you know, what state you were bottling in, but also oftentimes what city you were bottling in too. And so that to me was, you know, it was like news, but it wasn't even something that I focused on as much as sort of thinking to myself, okay, we have to remove everything out of the water in order to add fruit to the water. And we don't use preservatives in our product. And so there were things that we needed to make sure that we were starting with, you know, including removing everything out of the water. And again, there were certain cities that had worse water than, than others. And so that's when I really started to realize that, again, this is probably getting into too many details, but, but even our product, because we use fruit in our water, we're actually monitored by the FDA as compared to traditional bottled water is not. They're regulated by the states. And so I was like, what? Yeah. And so I was like, this is so confusing. Like, it's just not, I mean, it's bizarre. So if you're bottling, if you have, you know, I always call it the cheap bottle water, the like 24 packs or 36 packs for three bucks at whatever your local store. Is it Crystal Springs? That's what it's called. Well, oftentimes it's it's like a private label product. No, I know. I'm just I'm, I'm just making store. fun of the. Yeah. I'm just thinking of like the cheapest one where it feels like I could tear the plastic if I really tried hard enough. Exactly. With my bare hands. And so those are regulated by the state that they were actually produced in. And so again, here's sort of another thing. You may it may show up in California, but let's say for example that it was produced in Arizona or Utah, and so the consumer doesn't actually really sit there and do the work to try and figure out where is this product produced? And is that area like filled with, you know, lead or what other regulations? I mean, they don't do that kind of work. And again, like I learned so much about this stuff just from years and years of, of kind of looking at this. The other thing that I learned is that when we first started bottling somewhere at the same plants and somewhere at different plants, you know, 15, 16 years ago, the the stuff that was in the water has gotten worse it hasn't gotten better so again we remove everything so you know our product was and still is very very safe but i thought for all those people who don't have high filtration systems that you know in their plants or reverse osmosis or any of these things like like what is the consumer ultimately drinking they they've been sold this like idea of, you know, straight bottled water and is better for you, probably, right? And so that was like really where I got thinking about, you know, this clean water stuff. And again, I still, you know, I was still on my journey of of kind of healthy living and a, a few years ago and, and healthy production of our product. A few years ago, I actually landed in Washington when we were trying to get into the school lunch programs and the school lunch programs. I mean, that's, that's a whole other topic. We basically were fighting up against the dairy association who owns like the tray for the public school lunch system, which is 30 million kids and not just public schools, but also the Catholic schools, anybody who's got any money from the federal government for, you know, K through 
basically K through 12 is um, under these barriers. Like they've got to, they've got to have a milk on every tray. And, and the only sort of exception to that is um, the dairy association has done a deal with the orange juice association. So your options are milk or orange juice. And so I was saying that is pathetic and that kids should have access to water and a product like Hint that, you know, is, has lots of different flavors and, and isn't all the sugar all on and on. So that went on for like two years, that fight. And we lost. I mean, basically, we could not get anywhere with the Dairy Association um, to actually remove them being essentially the provider. I mean, they've got a 15-year contract with the U.S. government. It's just, it's absolutely insane. And so the, the reason that they gave that basically allowed them to sort of, you know, continue what they're doing is that there's drinking fountains across the U.S. And so I went back to a lot of nutritionists that I'd met along the way and particularly nutritionists that were working in schools and said, you know, unfortunately, we didn't get sort of where we wanted to go with this. But basically, the response back was that kids can drink out of drinking fountains. And so I kept hearing across the US from these, you know, nutritionists in schools that they were not that excited about this because there was, you know, lead in the drinking fountains. And so I started learning about regulations around, you know, how those varied as well. And that totally made sense to me knowing what I knew about bottled water, but it's, it's even on sort of a different system. Like I mentioned to you, like in California, you only have to test. And in fact, you can't test anymore and turn that in for basically your school to sort of pass the, the, the lead test. They will only accept a test from five drinking fountains, a particular school, and which is just crazy, right? And so, mm. so anyway, so as I started to, you know, dig more and more into this, what is in the water um, beyond the lead, then I started to, you know, really start to look at some of these other things that are in the Drinking fountains, including this ingredient that you and I were talking about, PFAS, um, which is a known carcinogen, according to the NIH and the Center for Disease Control. What's really fascinating about PFAS is that PFAS in the Dairy Association and in the Food Association are is is actually regulated. And so, if you have cows or cattle that actually has PFAS in their bloodstream, then those have to be destroyed. And and where does it come from? Because it's essentially Teflon. Are they adding it to the water or is this like, you know, from the plastics that are just in the system? Like where is PFAS coming from? It's in the, well, it's in the water. It originally added, added to the water. It's added to the water, but it's in a lot more stuff than consumers know. So, you know, we had these fires in California and Southern California and Northern California. And, you know, that stuff that they throw on the fire is it has PFAS in it. And so it's now in our water supply. It's, you know, it's, it's flowing in our water supply. And most of these states are not even that they're not even measuring it. And so the EPA is starting to look at it. It used to be sort of known as this ingredient that was really like primarily close to military bases, but now it's like, it's all over the place. And and in fact, in Connecticut, 
I think it was last year, Blumenthal, the senator from Connecticut, actually shut down or sort of pushed to shut down a couple of bottled water plants. I, it, I'm just I'm just remembering I used to buy like we would buy pots and pans that were advertised with Teflon as like the coating right. that would make it anti-slip. Right. Where in reality, that was something that was really negatively affecting our immune system. Yeah. Yeah. No. And it, it was like and, you know, again, it's like what's what's so crazy is the fact that, you know, we've got we live in these like parallel paths. Right. And and the way that you know, I look at this too, is that the NIH and the Center for Disease Control both say that PFAS is a known carcinogen, right? They've removed it from milk, from cattle. In fact, if you're, you know, a farmer with either of those and you have PFAS, I mean, your business is gone. I mean, it's like they've done stories about it where, you know, basically it's come in. And again, how does it get in to the grass that the cow is going to eat, for example, it's the water supply. And no one is actually doing anything about this, right? And it's just unbelievable. And again, going back to sort of stuff that I learned as a kid, it's like, I always thought that America had, you know, the cleanest water anywhere. Like, I thought, like, we just do it right like there's other places mm-hmm. in the world where they don't right and then so, so to learn that the only way that we're actually you know stopping this from ultimately getting into people's homes or getting into people's farms is like we're just not right i mean it's just yeah. it, i mean there's cra- you know we all heard about flint right and you know horrible stuff going on in flint with with lead and you know now they've PFAS has shown up in Flint as well. I mean, even when Flint sort of raised their flag and said, we don't have the money to fix this, they went to the federal government and they said, we don't have the money to fix this. And will you show up? And they said, no. And so a lot of people ask, like, you know, they just assume that Flint was fixed. It wasn't fixed. I mean, and now we've seen it in Newark, we've seen it in, you know, so many other places. And then, you know, if you look across the U.S., at, you know, just strange cancers. I mean, Michigan has had some like bizarre ones where there's just pockets where you see mm. the PFAS is, is just incredible. Well, this odd. is this is our mutual friend Aaron Brockovich's specialty, right? Is that pattern recognition of this, yeah. you know, savage inequality. Yeah, and it's crazy. And now, as I was mentioning to you, there's um, a couple of studies that have actually been shown how it relates to COVID. And, and apparently mm. people who have had COVID that are still alive and and some unfortunately not alive that had PFAS in their bloodstream are showing that they can't produce the antibodies to, you know, prevent COVID or, you know, coming back and and sort of getting them either. And they're they're really tying it to, you know, this, the, the body's, you know, ability to really get this stuff out. And so, I, it's just it, it's really really frightening, and so this so getting back to you know in short what we're doing is that we're working with with Congresswoman Jackie Spear to hopefully build a case to actually take this to Congress to actually pay attention um, to this, and our you know ultimately our hope is that we actually not only 
go and make consumers aware of this, but try and actually get the states to put better regulations in place for not only testing, you know, things like lead and PFAS, but also doing more testing. I mean, why does a school mm-hmm. only, you know, California has some of the better testing in, in the U.S. And why is it only five drinking fountains? I mean, the fact that in the kitchens that where you're washing the lettuce, you know, you're using the water mm-hmm. like that can have all kinds of stuff. And we're not doing any type of testing around that too. So I, you know, think that every single fountain that you would be, that would come in contact with your food or that you would be potentially drinking should actually be tested. So again, I would not have had the information, the passion, the, the conviction that I've had if I hadn't started my company first right? Mm -hmm. Like I wouldn't have just had the knowledge. And, and I think that that's where, you know, talking about these parallel paths, what's frustrating is you've got the NIH who's got their information, the CDC who's got their information, all the states have their information, the EPA has got their information, I've got my information around, you know, developing a product and actually seeing it across these states, but nobody's really putting these things together and actually saying how it's going to impact the health of our country. Art of the Hustle will be right back after this short break. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way. It's getting to to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hermosi, Layla Hermosi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come along with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind-the-scenes details and, of course, drama. I'll be joined by some very special guests that'll be helping me break it all down. From award season nightmares to fashion week insanity, you'll get the real stories behind some of the most iconic moments in the show. The Rachel Zoe Project definitely changed my life and career in so many ways. 
The show definitely captured some of the most amazing moments, but also some of the absolute worst. I made the show for all the fashion lovers out there, and I'm so happy that people still watch it and love it so much. So do not miss this special takeover on Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Not believe I just said that. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. I want to transition to something that we definitely will not all get behind, but another, you know, could be considered, you know, poisonous liquid uh, soda. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and- I I don't want to assume people understand the amount of sugar, the impossible amount of sweetness. That's why absorbic acid is put into soda. I know you have a personal story that motivated the starting of Hint. So please tell, tell the listeners. Yeah. So my story began when I was a teenager and, you know, I started drinking diet soda because I thought it was better for me. And so over the years, I continued to drink it. And every year they would come out with this new diet drink that would taste tasted even better. And I bought into it. So for years and years, I'm drinking it. I had my kids, I even drank it, you know, through my pregnancies and, you know, kept wondering like, okay, there's these sweeteners in here. I don't know if I should cut that out or not, but you know, it's so good. And for me, after I had my third child, I woke up one day and it had been going on for a while, but I, I looked at my skin and my skin had developed this terrible adult acne and I couldn't figure it out. And it wasn't something that I, you know, you, you don't even talk to your adult friends about, oh, I got really bad acne, right? It's just something that you're sort of like personally dealing with, but I just wasn't comfortable with it. i had also gained all this weight and I kept like thinking, oh, it's from the pregnancies, but you know, I just, I just could not lose the weight. And I had been a gymnast growing up. I knew how to lose weight and work out and nothing was working. And so finally I went to a few doctors. I started, you know, they really pointed at my food and, and said, you know, you've got to like really pay attention. And that's when I just got really, you know, religious about understanding not only sugars and diet sweeteners, but also like hormones and sort of other stuff that that was going into, you know, the food. And I live in Marin County, it's pretty easy to get, you know, pretty healthy food. What I realized is that uh, it actually wasn't my food, because what I had done was I did another test, which was I got rid of like one day just decided cold turkey, I'm not going to drink my diet soda anymore. And I'm going to drink water. I, you know, never was a water drinker. I grew up in Arizona, I should have been drinking a lot more water. But again, like I just figured diet soda was made up of water. And so, you know, it must be water somewhere in there. And so I started drinking lots of water and throwing uh, fruit in my water. And that's when I really realized that, you know, after two and a half weeks, my of giving up my, you know, diet drink, I was my skin was better. It had totally cleared up. I had um, lost over 20 pounds in two and a half weeks. It was like the easiest thing I had almost ever did just from making that change. It was incredible. And I kept like, I actually, an even longer story, which I get into in the book, like I I went back to a doctor and, you know, actually thought I was sick because I was losing weight so fast and I couldn't figure out what was going on. You know, over the course of six months, I lost 55 pounds, which is a lot of weight. Um, to lose in that period of time. And again, friends would notice they're like, you know, some would say, God, you look sick. Uh, Others would say, 
you know, you look amazing. Like, you know, what are you doing differently? And, um, and then by the time a year rolled around, like my body just sort of adjusted at this point. And that's when I, you know, really started to look at, you know, this drink phenomenon that was going on and why I had felt like drinking diet soda was fine and, and right. Right. Like I had been marketed to for years. And then I started looking at other drinks that were out there, like, and which was never my drink, but like vitamin water, like the fact that it's called water. And when I asked most of my friends who were drinking vitamin water, they were like, you know, shocked when I told them, you know, 15 years ago, vitamin water had more sugar in it than a can of regular Coke. Right. Like nobody. And and that's such an interesting observation. That was the biggest drink of a decade. It was called vitamin water and it had no vitamins and it wasn't water. Right. Right. And brilliant, brilliant marketing. But unfortunately, like that is not what consumers thought it was. Right. Totally. I was drinking it before my like sports games. I was like, I'm going to have a vitamin water. So I'm in like the best condition to win this soccer game. Yeah. And so, again, I was sort of living this life of like had, you know, this aha moment about how I had been fooled and marketed to. And like I was way ahead of my time. I mean, 15 years ago, people would meet me and and I would talk to them about this and they'd be like, oh, yeah, right. You know, they just didn't really understand what I was talking about. And certainly for, for so many people, they sort of understood that sugar was probably not that great, but people weren't reading labels. And so, you know, basically I, I just, again, sort of going back to my roots of, you know, just thinking like I would explain this idea to people and they were like, okay, whatever. And then I got bored one day and I thought, God, I wonder if I could, I just shop, started shopping at this local store that had just opened in San Francisco called Whole Foods. And I, I was like, I wonder if I could go get, I, I could get our product on the shelf there. And, you know, I said this to my husband and we hadn't launched the product at all. And I just said, I'm just going to, you know, go get it on the shelf. And he was like, okay, honey, what, whatever, like really wasn't paying attention. And, and then I think realized that I was pretty serious about this. And, you know, still to this day, like people are like, oh, did you always want to launch a beverage company? I don't even think this is a beverage company today. Like for me, it's really an initiative around helping people to get healthier. So every day, still to this day, 15 years later, I get emails and, you know, messages on social from people who, you know, really identify Hint as helping them, right? Like it's a brand that helps them drink water, lose weight, control type two diabetes, you know, helps them through the cancer, lots of different, like that, that word help comes up all the time. And oftentimes it also, you know, words that consumers use. And again, they're not thinking when they use these words, but it's, um, I mean, it's so impactful for a, you know, founder or a CEO to hear these things, because it's like, if you can build a brand where people are saying, you're helping me, right? You give me hope. Prior to you, like coming out with this product, I never thought that I could actually lose the weight that I wanted to lose. Yet we don't call ourselves a diet drink, right? We call our, you know, we just help people drink water. 
you know, we don't have any calories, but we're not running around saying zero, you know, like this is this. I mean, we're really, we're like, if you just focus on the quality and what we're doing versus like all of this, like, you know, jargon that's out there that so many other beverage companies, consumer products companies are using, then you will actually get where you're supposed to be. And and again, I, I just think it it really just goes back to, you know, a lot of people, I mean, for a founder to still be here and still running the company as CEO 15 years later is pretty like surprising, right? Like, Incredible. Right. And and I think that it's not only, you know, that we've been able to build a brand that sticks, but also, you know, for me personally, I still feel like I've got work to do. Well, you, you're, you guys are remarkable entrepreneurs. I mean, that, that you could, you know, start this from literally, I believe, and you, you might've alluded to it, but it started with you boiling fruit skins in your kitchen, and putting them in water, right? Yeah. No. And, and, and again, I had no idea what I was doing, right? Like, it yeah. was. It, I mean, it, you know, somebody said this to me the other day that they just figured out that, you know, the best entrepreneurs are the ones that really still to this day don't know what they're doing. And I'm like, that's right. I have no idea. Every single day I get up and when I'm not motivated to like actually do anything, I will like announce to everybody, I'm going to go do two things today. And that's, and that is like, you know, I'm going to go do two things and maybe some things that I just don't even think I like was ever going to be able to do. Maybe it's a, maybe it's reaching out to different, like, for my book. I mean, when I was, when I, you know, got some people to read my book, I mean, people were like, who are you going to get to read your book? And I'm like, eh, Sheryl Sandberg, Jamie Dimon, uh, like people were like, really? And I'm like, uh, -huh, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to go do it. I, I like, I don't, I don't care. Like I figure, I, I really, really believe that if instead of worrying about failure or worrying about like what could happen, if instead you just like, keep moving forward and start on your journey, you'll find things along the way that you're meant to do, right? So I never would have gotten to working on stuff in Washington around clean water if I wouldn't have been fighting, you know, and really understanding, you know, trays and, and you know, school lunches. And I'm not done there. Like I may go back there, but in the meantime, I'm going to go and do what feels right to me, well, what I'm passionate you, about. Your undaunted philosophy, it's an evolutionary jump in a sense, because you know, our decisions, individual decisions, used to be so much more the consequences were so much more mortal. But the way we hacked it, myself and my co-founders, is that everybody was more sophisticated than we were. Every conversation wow. we were having, we were first to, and they were, you know, five hundredth to. So our coping mechanism was actually just to have as much fun as we could and be like, you know what? If this conversation is memorable and it's the most fun meeting they had all week, likely something good will come out of it. If we try to sound like we're smart there's no way we're going to make it out alive. But if we have a great time and they have a great time and we leave and they're like, eh, I might invest in that person's future. Typically, you know, the outcomes are going to be far out outsized from what you even could have imagined they would have been. No, totally. And that's the same with, you know, I remember the first trade show we were at when, you know, back in 2005, I just had my fourth kid and, you know, like literally, few weeks later, I, I showed up at this trade show and I remember this 
huge guy in the beverage industry um, that writes like a, you know, analysis of, of beverages, Jerry Kamuch. He was like, you guys are going to be like, you know, you seem like two nice people, myself and my husband, Theo, but you're going to be roadkill. You have no idea what you're doing. You came from tech. You're just these probably arrogant tech people. And yeah, I just sat there and listened and, you know, watched, you know, him sort of decide what my future was. And I'm still friendly with Jerry today. Like I, I throw, I, remind him of this conversation. And and I wasn't afraid to walk into a bottling plant and say, please spend a few minutes with me. I know I'm going to ask really stupid questions. Like, you know, and there were a lot of people that said, no, like, you're wasting my time. I don't want to talk to you. And like, I'd be like, oh, that's, that's really a bummer. Okay, I get it whatever. And I'd move on. And, but I just kept knocking. I kept like going and, and, and I think like, that's the thing that finally you, what you realize is like some of the conversations that we had, we were the first product that used real fruit in it other than juice that was calling itself water that didn't use preservatives in the product. So vitamin water, like whether they used fruit or not is, is, is a whole other story, but, but they, they had tons of preservatives in the product and I just didn't want that in my product. And so what we were doing is I was asking the bottlers when they were bottling our product, I'm like, why do I have to use preservatives? And they're like, just cause. And I'm like, okay, slow down. Like why just cause I just don't understand. And so that annoying little girl who used to always ask why, right. And my dad was like, oh my God, I'm going to, you know, like, stop, don't ask me why anymore. Stop being curious. Right. It's finally, you know, I had people saying, gosh, I don't, I don't know. I've just always said like, you have to use preservatives in the product, but I don't really know the answer. And I'm like, well, we should think about this together. And, and so that was, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll never forget. We, you know, ended up having a conversation with a guy and at a bottler in Watsonville, California. And, you know, it was just that, like, he was like, I've never, I've bottled lots of products for people, everything from vitamin water to honesty to lots of other things. And I've never had anyone ask me, why does the product need preservatives in it? And so if I wouldn't have come in to the beverage industry, really admitting that I knew nothing and instead just using curiosity as my leader and, you know, and sort of understanding too, that there's a lot of people who don't want to go on that journey with me, right? Like they don't want it. Well, I'm not, I'm not certain. I'm not certain that's how it, how it plays out. Of course, I'd prefer to have, you know, natural products versus preserved products. Right. But no one had done it at the same time, vitamin water built, you know, a mass market brand that was called vitamin water. And so whether or not it had it in it, it did create a marketplace where there was now a gateway for people to start sort of seeing themselves as someone that would want to drink vitamin water. And by the way, on that consumer journey, I'd imagine a decade later, your customers today at scale were at one time vitamin water customers who might have been introduced to the idea. This is my Tom Shoes theory, you know, yeah. like Tom Shoes certainly isn't going to be the brand that like, you know, puts shoes on every child in the world and changes the economic structure of the planet. But it was the first mover in a generation to make giving cool. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. You also said something too that I think is is really interesting that I thought 
a lot about. So a lot of people ask me, like, should I go start a company? Or when do you know it's like the right time to quit your job and go start a company? And my story goes back to my dad. Like I said, he was this entrepreneur in my mind. And I would say to him as a little kid, like, you know, you have so many good ideas. Like, why don't you go start your company? And what my dad never said to me was sort of what he valued. And he had five kids and my dad valued putting all five of us through college. And that was the number one thing like he valued. He said, like, this is what needs to happen. And so he wasn't going to go quit his good job to actually go start a company because in his mind, that was selfish and that was not putting his children in front. And so I always say to people, I don't live in your you know, shoes, right? I don't know what you value. I don't understand, you know, your financial situation. But what I can say is that no matter what your situation is, you can make a plan. And that way, you know, you can actually live and live undaunted. Maybe that plan is to go save money in order to get yourself to a position to actually ultimately do what you want to do. But if you just sit there and talk about it and and say, I don't have enough money, you know, this is like, you put walls up in front of yourself all day long, or that person can do it because, you know, their parents or their grandparents gave them lots of money. I mean, that is not helpful, like, right? That doesn't help you to ultimately do what you want to do. And so if you really believe that you want to go start a company or start a nonprofit or whatever you want to do, then start making a plan and just start doing. I mean, maybe that plan is just sitting there on Saturday afternoon for, you know, blocking out time and actually writing this thing out and trying to, or talking to 10 people in the next six months. So you're doing something, right? You're starting on your journey to figure out whether or not this is actually the right thing for you to do. But I really do believe that, you know, whenever people say like, oh, you know, you're more fortunate or you're like, I I just, I I don't know. I, I think that it's, it's just being too easy on people. I think you, everybody can go do what they ultimately want to do. It may not be tomorrow, but I think that you can do it in a certain amount of time if that's what you ultimately put stakes in the ground to wanting to do. I love that. That's such a great way to put it. And I really appreciate you taking the time today. I, I know that you have, you know, the fam, the business, your own podcast, the book, everything going on. And, you know, you're just such an inspirational entrepreneur. And, you know, I really love our friendship and thank you for the time. And just, you know, on our way out, you know, speaking to those that have already taken that plunge and are entrepreneurs, I imagine that you have some advice that you do give along with, you know, being undaunted and going for it when you feel anxiety or when you feel scared, just pushing through, you know, what was one thing that you wished when you were starting out this journey that someone that had the experience told you? Probably two things that it's okay to not actually hit the goal that you originally intended to hit. And instead look at the journey as learning towards where you're ultimately supposed to be. And then also, I think that passion really trumps experience. I really believed that I couldn't do things. And I put up my own walls initially thinking, oh, I can't go do this because I haven't worked for Coke or Pepsi. Like, that's why I can't do it. But instead, I just decided it might take me longer. 
it might, you know, every time along the way, you know, if, if I, like people said, oh, as a female entrepreneur, like, are you going to be able to do this? Are you're running, you know, a company with your husband? Like, are you going to be able to do this? Like, it's like, you know, there's so many people, you have your own doubts as an entrepreneur, I'm sure you did as well. But then people will actually you spend enough time with certain people, and they'll put even more doubts in your head, right. And I think it's it's your own decision to make to just say, I'm going to keep going. And it's okay. If it doesn't end up exactly where I want it to go, I'm going to learn a lot of things, there's going to be great stories along the way, I know there's going to be good that's going to develop out of this. And I lived and did interesting stuff, right. And and that for me is like, that's my legacy. Um, that's what I want to be known for. That's what I want my, you know, family to know me that I work tirelessly to be able to do what I thought was right. Well, thank you, Kara. I couldn't agree with you more. Everybody go drink Kent water. Listen Yay. to Kara's awesome podcast. Buy the book. Do it all. It's called Undaunted and it's on Amazon and on our website at drinkhint.com right now too. So And uh thank you for being on Kara. Well thank you, Jeff. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, look no further than the Marketing School Podcast, hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast on Apple and number 15 on business in the United States. Now, if you want to listen to interesting conversations with operators that have been there, done that, also with other interesting guests, then listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Rachel Zoe here, and we're going back to the Rachel Zoe Project for a very special takeover on my podcast, Climbing in Heels. Come with me as I take you back to season one to give you all the behind the scenes details and drama. I'll be joined by some special guests that'll be helping me share the real stories behind the most iconic moments in the show. So do not miss this special takeover of Climbing in Heels. It's going to be bananas. Listen to Climbing in Heels with Rachel Zoe on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts.